Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Last week, we talked about the basic building blocks of creating emotional safety for young children. And this week, I want to continue that discussion and talk about how we create emotional safety for older children, teens, and young adults. And this is a little bit of a trickier topic because you and your teen likely already have well-established relationship patterns. And some of these patterns may have been influenced by the authoritarian nature of the high-demand religion you used to adhere to. Some of those patterns may have been what you experienced as a child. So you usually aren't creating an environment of emotional safety from scratch with this teen. You're building upon your past relationship and their past experience with being accepted and their ability to belong. And if you've had a relationship built on authoritarianism or codependency or emotional fragility in the past, we're going to have to address that elephant in the room before safety can begin to grow in the relationship. We have to begin working on those old patterns and we may have to be accountable. In fact, we will have to be accountable about things that have happened in the past and ways that we've related that perhaps weren't healthy or weren't conducive to them feeling safe, opening up and being vulnerable and sharing how they really feel and how they really experience the world. And a lot of times these teens, they may worry about making you angry or that you may abandon them emotionally. They may worry that if they open up, if they tell you how they really feel or how they really think or what they really want that you might tell them how they're wrong or lecture them. They may worry about disappointing you. And they may also worry that if they're really honest with you, it'll send you into a shame spiral or it will trigger you to make it all about you and and to get really defensive and to explain yourself. And they may worry that you'll shut down emotionally and abandon them with their big feelings. These are common fears for teens just from all different kinds of backgrounds, but it's definitely exacerbated when a teen was raised in high-demand religion or in a high-demand family system. So if we really want to engage in deep, meaningful relationships with our teens where we get to know who they are underneath the armor and they're willing to allow us to see them and to hear them and to understand them, And if we want to empower them to take the reins in their lives, not just now, but as they grow into adulthood, then we're going to have to change this dynamic that we've created in the past. And this is going to require some accountability from us. And as we already know, accountability is difficult because it takes a lot of self-awareness and shame resilience and self-compassion. And these are all things that people coming from a background of authoritarianism that they experienced in high demand religion, these are things we weren't taught. The high demand religion or family system thrived when we weren't in touch with our emotions and needs and when 
we were hard on ourselves and when we were highly sensitive to possible shame and to fear because we were easier to manage and manipulate when we were in that space. If we were really responsive to shame, then shame messages about who we should be in order to fit in were highly effective. If we were really susceptible to the fear messages about what would happen if our kids didn't do certain things or if we didn't do certain things and how our lives would go off trajectory and we would be lost and you know we would do all of these bad things without the control of the church. It makes sense that we would bring some of that into our relationship with our teens, that maybe we would operate from that fear and want to control what they're doing. So when we've come from these backgrounds, it makes sense that sometimes we operate from places of shame, places of fear, places of control, because that is what was modeled for us a lot of the time as kids. Not always, but by and large, people who come from these high demand systems experienced high demand parenting as well. But because of these dynamics, our first step, if we're trying to create emotional safety for teens, is we have to do our own work. And our teens need to be aware that we're doing our own work. They need to know that we're aware that we've created problems. Because a lot of times teens don't know that their parents are aware that sometimes they've done some harmful things. So we need to be open and they need to know that we're working on that, that that is a priority and why it's a priority because we care about them and we want to be close with them. We want to make things better. So they don't expect us to be perfect, but they do need to know that we are aware of the problem and that we're committed to working on it. The hard truth about parenting is we're going to mess up from time to time, and we may mess up more than occasionally. And this happens for a lot of reasons. We're humans who are still learning from trial and error. We've never done this before. We've never been a parent before. We've never parented the specific child before, and we've never parented the specific child at this specific age before. Now, add into the mix that most of us listening are parenting more than one unique human with changing physical, emotional, and mental needs, and it is a recipe for a lot of mistakes. And that is okay. Embrace that. We're going to make mistakes. Make peace with it. Mistakes don't equal us being a bad person or a bad parent. They equal that we are human and we're doing something new, and we're learning. And this is our work to do. The emotions that underlie our fear of making mistakes, of getting it wrong, of hearing someone tell us that we've made a mistake, or that the what we intended isn't how it was received, this is often going to get in the way of our teens feeling comfortable opening up to us and us having a healthy relationship. And it's probably not just affecting your relationship with your teens, because if we struggle to hear that we've done something wrong in a relationship, or we struggle to hear that we've made a mistake or that what we intended isn't what was received, then we're going to struggle with intimacy in all of our relationships. And honestly, 
when we are relating with teens, we're practicing those adult mechanisms of relationships, of healthy relationships, where we can be open and honest and start practicing secure attachment. But secure attachment can't happen if we're still operating from insecurity and shame messages about our worthiness and our lovability and our fear that people will abandon us. This is work that we need to do. Perhaps it's introspection that we do with ourselves. I highly recommend getting a therapist or a coach that deals specifically with either you know religious trauma and some of the things that are associated with it or insecure attachment styles. All of this is going to be helpful in helping you recognize maybe some of those patterns you're bringing into your relationship with your teen and allowing you to work with those things inside of yourself to make it safer for people to open up and be honest with you about what's working and what isn't working. And this is especially true for teens. If we want them to feel safe telling us what is working in our parenting relationship and what isn't working, we have to be open to hearing about the mistakes we're making without it equating to I'm an awful human and an awful parent and my kid hates my guts. So we got to turn that dialogue around. Our kid cares enough to share what isn't working so we can fix it together. They share because they care. And this is true in all relationships. They love us enough to have the difficult conversations so we can work through this together. And this is true even if your teen is coming at you with anger, with resentment, if they're coming at you with attitude, I want you to remember that teens' brains are not fully developed. So logic and reason, the ability to, you know, solve complex physics or mathematic problems, those things in the brain develop faster than the emotional centers. So your child is still figuring out how to navigate emotions. They might be able to communicate with you like, hey, I don't like this, but they might not be able to process what they're experiencing, why they don't like it, and communicate it in a very mature adult way. They need you for that. So if they're coming at you with attitude, instead of coming at them with your own attitude, which may still happen occasionally, but we can be accountable for that as well, right? We're allowed to make mistakes. But instead of coming at them with your own attitude, we can help them recognize their emotion. Hey, it seems like you're really frustrated right now. I want to understand exactly what you're frustrated about. Okay, it feels like I'm being hard on you or there's too many rules. Tell me about that. What rules in particular feel like they're too hard or that they don't take into account your needs? Help me understand where it feels unfair. Help me understand what that feels like for you what you think about that, what it feels like I'm trying to do. Help me understand your point of view. This is where it becomes really important for us to do this work about our own worthiness, our own insecurity, and our own attachment wounds. Because can you imagine if you have abandonment wounds, you're worried your kid is going to grow up to hate you and leave you. Imagine if you feel like you're not likable or lovable or worthy of being liked and loved, and your kid comes to you and says, 
I think this is really unfair. I don't like how you're doing this. And these messages are going on in the back of your head. See, they don't like you. They're going to abandon you. You're not worthy of love, even from your own child. When those things are going on in the background, we are not able to be present and listen to our kids talk about their experience with our parenting or how they're viewing the rules or how they're viewing the expectations that we have of them because we're going to want to defend ourselves. We're going to want to prove that we're lovable, that we're worthy, that they shouldn't abandon us. It becomes a conversation now about us instead of about their experience because our fragility is right there at the surface. But if we can learn to listen to their experience without getting fragile, meaning we don't take the feedback they're giving us and turn it into a whole shame storm that our kid has to then either escape or comfort us out of, then our teen begins to build trust that they can come to us with their honest feedback. If they know my parent is strong enough to hear me, to hear difficult things and make space for my feelings without me having to comfort their feelings and massage their egos, then they're going to begin to open up more and more. Now, if at this point you're like, if they open up more and more, they're going to say really awful things to me. Again, that's an indicator that we may have some past stories, some insecurities, some abandonment wounds that maybe need some tending to. It's okay if we've made mistakes. It's okay if we haven't made mistakes, but our kids are angry about some of the things. It's okay if our kids misunderstand what our expectations for them are and they have feelings about it. It's okay if they have times where they wish we were like their friend's parent. Maybe their friend's parent's more permissive. Maybe their friend's parent is wealthier or better looking or more adventurous or more talkative or whatever. It's okay if they see this other parent and there's things about that parent that they like. I want to know what they see and what they like in other parents because it helps them better define who they want to be. It also starts some great conversations. Because if your kid has a friend who has a parent who's permissive and lets them do whatever they want to do, we get to start and have conversations about what that might be like in reality. What might their friend actually be feeling? Does their friend feel like their parent cares about them? Does it feel like anyone cares about what they're doing and if they're safe? And what might that reality be like? We can explore that together. But we can only explore that together if we aren't triggered and feel somehow less worthy because our kid notices differences in other people and maybe prefers some of those differences occasionally. And not only do we need to work with our own inner fragility, but we need to work with our own internal judgments and fears. Recently, I was talking with a teen who was talking about how he didn't feel like his parents really accepted him. And in this conversation, I was asking him like, you know, have your parents said or done something that make you feel like you aren't accepted, that if you were honest with them, that they would reject you? And he was like, no. And I said, do you feel like your parents love you? And he said, yes. 
And as we were talking, I was trying to figure out why would this kid feel like his parents wouldn't fully accept him if he was honest about what he thinks and what he feels and what he wants in life. And as we were conversing, it came down to the fact that his parents are really judgmental of themselves and often have judgmental conversations about other people. And that has been true for other teens I've talked to as well. They've heard their parents or their grandparents or their aunts and uncles, the adults in their lives, either judge themselves very harshly or judge other people really harshly with their words or both. And even when those adults were trying to actively build up their teens with reassurance and praise, if we're tearing ourselves or others down, they're going to get the message that they aren't fully safe with us. So even if we're telling them you're amazing and you're wonderful and I'm so glad you're part of my life, but then we're judging someone for what they wear and we're judging someone for how they parent their kids and we're judging someone for their personality and we're judging someone for their taste in music and we're judging ourselves for not being perfect, what our teen is hearing is it's not safe for me to dress differently. It's not safe for me to be a different parent than you when I grow up. It's not safe for me to tell you that I'd like a different you know, parenting approach in certain parts of my life. It's not safe for me to listen to music that's different than yours. It's not safe for me to have a different lifestyle. And it's not safe for me to be imperfect. This is part of Brene Brown's braving acronym we talked about last week. The N in braving stands for non-judgment. And when I first heard about this acronym several years ago, I thought about how safe I feel when I'm with people who don't judge me. And I knew that others would feel safer with me when I was open-minded and curious and remained out of judgment with them as well. However, it really wasn't until later that I realized I feel safer with people who also stay out of judgment with themselves. If they're kind to themselves, the person they likely know the most intimately, the person that they're probably the most aware of their strengths and their faults, if they're kind to themselves, they're likely going to be kind and non-judgmental to me as well. Our kids pick up on how we judge ourselves and others, and they subconsciously apply those rules to themselves. So it's so important that we work with the internal things going on inside of us, our fears, our sense of insecurity, our shame, our feelings of unworthiness, and the judgments that we have about ourselves and others. The next thing that can help us create emotional safety with teens and older kids is to be curious. And I know I say it in almost every episode, but curiosity is the foundation for emotionally safe relationships. We have to want to actually know and understand our teen. We have to be interested in what it's like to be them without judging their experience. So this might mean we need to stop asking boring general questions and start asking questions specific to their lives. I love asking my kids emotional awareness questions like, what made you smile? Or what made you laugh today? What pissed you off today? When I know they have a test, I ask them not just how they felt it went, but what they felt the most difficult thing was about the test, if anything. What was the easiest part of the assignment? 
when they have an event coming up that they're excited about, I ask them what they're most looking forward to. And after the event, I ask them about that specific thing. Did it happen the way they hoped it would happen? Was it what they thought it would be? Why or why not? There are lots of resources online for starting conversations with teens. Print a list and choose a question every day that you can ask your kids in the car or on the way to school or when you're driving to the grocery store. If you can't think of one, have a list on hand. And driving is a great time to connect with teens because it feels less threatening. You aren't having to look at each other and it can cut down on the feelings of self-consciousness that a lot of teens feel. Mostly with my kids, I like to ask them questions about some of the things I'm mulling over in my head. I honestly want their thoughts and opinions about this stuff, and it helps me get to know how they view the world as well. So I've asked them their opinions recently about climate change and increasing severe weather since we've had four tornado warnings here this summer, which has never happened before. This has been the craziest weather this summer. And this led to some great conversations about their anxiety about the climate and their ideas about what we could do to correct the problems that we're creating with the climate. I've asked them what their thoughts are about how someone gets wealthy. How do they think that happens? And what steps might a person take to become wealthy if they wanted to? They had some really cool answers. And they had some that were truly bizarre. But it's so interesting to listen and hear how their brain works. We've talked about what makes a good friend. What are some red flags when you're dating someone? What subject at school do they hate or love and why? What's the weirdest dream they've ever had? What would be the most epic Halloween costume if price weren't an issue? And a host of other things. And during these conversations, I don't do much but give them my full attention and ask questions to clarify what they tell me. This isn't my chance to instill my values in them or my beliefs into them because I no longer view that as my job as their parent. I'm not here to inject them with my beliefs and values. I'm here to help them discover theirs. And in order to do that, I need to know how they think. I need to know how they view the world. I need to know what they want. What do they desire? What feels good to them? What do they not like? What are some of their biggest goals in life? Who do they aspire to be like? Knowing these things allows me to help them see what it feels like their values are. It's so nice to like have them tell me about something and say, wow, it seems like you really value this. Does that feel right to you? And allow them to check in and see whether that feels right or not. It gives them a chance to try on their values and see, yeah, does that fit or does that not fit? And allowing them to try that on and either say yes or no, it's okay to be wrong. They might say no, actually, or yes, actually, and then they'll give me more clarifying information and I can clarify again and check in with them and help them check in with themselves. Remember, our teens are still developing. They need Someone not to like control and mold them at this point now, they need someone who mirrors back to them what they're seeing so that they can check their reflection and see if that's accurate. Like, wow, this seems like what you care about. Is that true? Are these what your values are? Is this what motivates you? 
Is this what you love? Is this what you dislike? Is this what you want? And it allows them to like check in with themselves and see, am I on track with what actually is important to me or not? And this can be true. We can have curiosity questions with our kids when they are doing things that we feel like might hurt them as well. So let's say they slack off in a class at school and are bombing it. F minus in the class. I don't even think that's a thing, but like enough in the class, right? So they have enough in the class and it might jeopardize their ability to play in the band or be on the football team, cheerlead, whatever. They have, you know, that policy at school where you have to pass to play. And so they bring home their midterm report. And instead of being like, oh, you've got to do better. These grades need to be better. You pull these up or you're going to be grounded. We sit with them and say, how do you feel about these grades? And we listen and we ask clarifying questions. Is there anything you're concerned about with these grades? What were your big struggles? What's going on in the class that's leading to this? Are you concerned that this might keep you from playing football or being on the cheer squad or being in the band? Is this bringing you closer to what you want or is this bringing you further away? And how can I support you to get more of what you want? We can empathize with things like maybe their teacher is a drag. Maybe it is not a good fit. We can empathize with that. We've all had a boss or a teacher or somebody in our lives that we just don't get along with. We can empathize and validate that and ask like, you know, how can we support you? Sometimes they may have a teacher that is such a bad fit that maybe what they need from us is for us to go advocate for them to change classes. I had to do that with my son his freshman year. So even after communication, we had lots of conflict resolution communication going on with this teacher where we were, you know, on both sides. I was trying to understand her and what was going on. I was trying to support my child. And I was also listening to his side of the story and it just was not working. And so at the end of the semester, well, towards the end of the semester, we requested a change of teacher with the administration. We explained what we had tried to do. And they granted us that change. So sometimes that's what they need. They need us to adult for them on behalf of them, right? Because unfortunately, in our high schools, a lot of times administrators and teachers don't treat our teens like they are adults in training. Sometimes they treat them like they're young children and they need an adult to advocate for them to listen to them, to listen to what they want to see happen, what would be most useful and helpful to them. They need somebody to help them navigate those conflict conversations at first and to try to problem solve. And when that doesn't work, they need someone to go in and say, hey, this isn't working. And what are some options? How can we resolve this conflict and make it a win-win for everyone involved? Sometimes they do need us to advocate for them. And sometimes they just need us to validate their feelings And to let them know that we understand that it sucks, that it's not their favorite thing, and to be there to support them as they continue to do the thing that they really don't like because it's required of them. So yeah, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to check in with our kids 
hear how they're experiencing things, validate their emotions, and figure out what they want to see happen. Because remember, we are training them to take charge of their own lives. That's what the teen years are. It is adulthood and training. It's helping them check in with themselves and say, hey, is this what I want? Is this not what I want? How do I get more of what I want? And how do I navigate this thing? How do I set better boundaries? How do I manage my time better? How do I work through difficult relationships with people I don't necessarily like? Because that's part of adulting. Sometimes we have people in our lives that really aren't our cup of tea. How do we navigate that? And how do we move through that? The next piece of this, I feel like we've already kind of talked about, but I really want to emphasize this. And it is, if we want to create emotional safety for our teens, we must really listen. I mean, you are fully present. You are not judging. You are wanting to really hear and understand what it's like to be them. This is empathic listening, active listening. And the purpose of it is to understand, not to respond. So this week, high school marching band camp started, and I've been surrounded by teens. I volunteer as the band photographer each year so that I can, you know, keep using my photography skills that I developed over 10 years as a wedding photographer. And I love getting to take the portraits of these kids and the photojournalistic pictures, the action shots of them on the field and with each other. I just love providing that for the kids every year. And so this week, I've gotten a chance to take portraits of each of the band members. And while they're all waiting around for the last stragglers from each section to get you know fitted for their uniform and show up for pictures, I've gotten to ask these kids some questions for the podcast. I told them I was doing an episode for parents on how to make home a safer place for teens to open up and be honest and vulnerable about what they think and feel. I asked over 60 kids the same question. If you could give parents one piece of advice about how to help teens feel safer sharing their thoughts and feelings, what would you say? What could parents do to help you feel better about opening up? And almost all of them said some version of just listen to us. Your kids want to be heard. They want to know that you're interested in what they think and feel. And a lot of them said, you know, I just wish my parents would listen to us. Just listen to your kids. But they would follow up with things like, don't be closed-minded and tell us how we're wrong. Let us have our own thoughts and stuff. Another one said, don't try to fix our lives. If I share a problem with my parents, I don't want them to fix it. I just want them to hear it and understand it. When we try to fix our teens' problems, we're unfortunately giving them the subconscious message of, I don't trust you to fix it. I don't think you're capable of fixing it. And I'm going to fix it for you. And that's not the message we're trying to give our teens. We're trying to say, hey, I fully trust you. What we're trying to do is help them feel capable to fix their stuff while they feel supported and loved and validated. So that's what we're aiming for. Another one said, be open-minded. Yeah, I might say some weird stuff, but roll with it. (laughs) There were a couple that said, you know, I wish my parents would listen without judging me. 
And they said, I can totally tell my parents are rolling their eyes internally. And it just makes me not want to say anything. So even if we're not judging with our words, sometimes we judge with our body language and we seem put out. Another one said, I wish my parents would put themselves in my shoes. I know my parents are adults with grown-up problems and my problems seem small or stupid in comparison, but they aren't small and stupid to me. This is one I've been guilty of before. Like, oh my gosh, really? That problem is so small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Like, you have no idea what real problems are, kid, right? I think we've all done that before. But to our kids, this is a huge problem. And supporting and validating them through the problems that feel huge to them now is going to help them feel like they're not alone when they do get some of those bigger problems that happen into adulthood, right? When you have big relationship problems with big consequences, when you have a narcissistic or overbearing boss, when you have unexpected expenses and not enough money in the bank account to cover them, when you have a kid that is really sick and you don't know what to do. These are really big problems, but we're teaching them now with their smaller teen problems that they have support, they can rely on people, and that they're capable of figuring out how to problem solve with support. They don't have to be all alone, but they're also capable. Another kid said, remember that I'm not you. You may have gone through something similar and handled it differently, but I'm not you. I never will be you. I'm not going to handle things like you would. And I would add, and that's okay. Can we remember that our kids are different people than us? And as we're listening, they may want to handle things differently than us, and that's totally okay, because they may want a different outcome than we did. And that's all right. And I love what one of the flautists said. She said, remind us that no matter what, you love us and you're not going anywhere. And she went on, I'm going to paraphrase here. She said, I need to know that if I'm sharing something intense with my parents, they won't think I'm a monster and run away screaming. So we need to know that our big feelings are safe with our parents, that we can share difficult things. We can share things that aren't necessarily happy and pretty and bubbly and rainbows all the time. And that our parents are going to love us no matter what, and they're not going anywhere. And I feel like these teens pretty much summed up what it means to really listen to someone. We feel heard when we're able to share freely without judgment, without someone taking ownership of our emotions and problems, when others are open-minded to what we're trying to communicate and they ask clarifying questions to better understand, and when we're met with empathy, validation, and a sense that we're lovable and acceptable, even if we have some wild thoughts and emotions. Now, I do want to mention that it is very important that we honor our teens' boundaries. One of the ways that we empower our teens at this age is to help them recognize and communicate their boundaries, even with us. So I find that it's really helpful when we're discussing with teens to let them know that we're always interested in their lives, but we're not going to force them to share when they aren't ready or comfortable. I like letting my kids know that if I ever ask a question they're not ready to answer, that that's okay. And that I'm going to respect their boundaries 
And I'm always going to be here if they change their mind. I feel like letting our kids know that they're in control of the information they share and that they get to talk, not when we're ready for them to talk, but when they're ready to talk, gives them a sense of power in the relationship. They know that if they agree to enter a conversation that could get emotional or overwhelming, they don't have to engage with everything. They're allowed to pass on questions, think about things, talk when they're ready. And it can really help some teams feel safer engaging in problem-solving conversations. So give your teens the ability to set boundaries about when they're ready to share. And be available when they are ready to share. And last. It's important that both of us practice emotional intelligence. Remember, our teens' brains are still developing. The emotional centers are not fully developed yet. They won't be fully developed until they're in their 20s. And so we practice emotional intelligence together. First, we take care of our own emotional stuff, right? And we show them what that looks like. But we also help them label what they're experiencing ask curiosity questions and help them clarify what's going on in their body, what events are triggering these emotions and help them work through their emotions as well. The more we can practice recognizing, labeling and understanding our emotions, the better we'll be able to communicate them safely to each other. And we start with ourselves because that's where we have power. Because now that our kids are teens, remember we talked about that inverse relationship our kids have gotten older, we now have less control. And we're honoring that. We're now moving into that consultant role. And the place that we have power in our relationship isn't by forcing our teens. That's going to push them further away and make them shut down. It's by taking control of our own selves and our own boundaries, right? And so the more we practice recognizing, labeling, and understanding our emotions, the better we can like show our teens how we work with our emotions, but it also helps us better communicate with them what our needs are. I find that a lot of times with parent-teen relationships, sometimes it feels like there's a lot of anger, especially in like, you know, dysfunctional or unhealthy ones, right? It looks like there's a lot of anger, but anger isn't really what we're trying to communicate. So maybe it looks like we're angry, that our teen stayed out past curfew, for instance. And that might feel controlling to our teen. It might feel like we're trying to dictate their life. However, for most parents, we're not angry that they disobeyed us so much as we're afraid of where they are and if they're safe. And that conversation changes when we express how terrified we are that they were out so late and not answering their phone. And we can tell them how we care about them so much and the thought of them being in danger keeps us up at night, frantic to know that they're okay. A lot of times we show our kids anger when really the anger is a big, powerful shield for a more vulnerable emotion underneath. So underneath, we feel afraid, anxious, or worried, or we might feel lonely or disconnected or disrespected. Like they don't really care about our feelings. We might feel resentful because maybe it feels like we're being taken advantage of. And we may feel grief or sadness. 
all of these are emotions that when we share these more tender, squishy emotions, ones that leave us feeling a little bit more vulnerable and exposed, can help us connect and can help us drop down to the heart of the issue. So learning to better recognize our emotions allows us to do two things. So first, it helps us figure out if what we're expecting is a problem for us to solve on our own, or if it's something that we do need to discuss with our kid. And when I say problem that we need to resolve on our own, these are like unrealistic expectations about how teens should be or what they should do. Subconscious judgments about what is right and what is wrong or hidden shame about worthiness and lovability. These things aren't problems for our kids to solve. These are our own internal dialogues, our own internal rule book, and we need to spend some time with it and figure out, is it a part of us that needs some validation and healing? Do we actually want to live from those subconscious judgments? Are they serving us? Is it reasonable? Because sometimes we expect some things that are pretty unreasonable from people in our lives, right? So we need to get curious about those things first. Now, I want to make it clear that our shame and our feelings of unworthiness and our abandonment wounds are ours to heal, either on our own or with a therapist or coach or with a trusted adult friend. It is not our kid's job to make us feel worthy now or ever not even in adulthood, because it's not our spouse's job. It's not any other adult's job or any kid's job to make us feel worthy, lovable, or securely attached. That is our work to do. And we create a lot of unsafety in our relationships with our kids when we're expecting them to fill us up in those ways and to heal those wounds for us. It's not their job. That is our work to do. And we do that with other adults, like therapists and people who can support us to heal our wounds. Because even a therapist isn't going to heal your wound. They can give you tools to heal your own wound. They can listen and validate and soothe. But ultimately, you heal your wound. Ultimately, you take the tools and you use them. Please understand that that is always our job, working with our own shame, our own feelings of insecurity and unworthiness and our own abandonment wounds. That is our work. And it's not our kid's job to give us secure attachment at this age either. We're supposed to be modeling secure attachment for them so that hopefully when they become adults, then we can engage in a mutual relationship where we both practice secure attachment together. But in their teen years, remember, they are still developing. They're still kids. It is not their job to provide secure attachment to the wounded inner child inside of us. It's our job to work with that wounded inner child with another adult. And then we bring secure attachment as much as we can. Remember, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to bring old patterns to the table. That's okay. We may be healing this late into life, but as much as possible, we want to be aware of our insecurities, our internalized shame, our internalized fear, and we work through that with either a trusted friend or a therapist, and then we try to show up as securely attached as possible for our kids. 
And hopefully, as we grow together, we become better and better at meeting each other in a securely attached place as they become adults. Now, the second thing that being really clear about our emotions does is it allows us to more precisely communicate our feelings and needs and expectations to our kids so that we have a better chance of problem solving the issue. Going back to the example before, if we have a kid that's coming home late from curfew, if we have a kid that is, it feels like like really pushing the envelope about when they come home. If instead of expressing the anger, we can drop down to the heart of the issue, which is I'm worried about your safety and I love you and I don't want you to get physically hurt. If we can communicate that we're worried about our kids' safety when they come home, if we can communicate like I'm especially worried about you after midnight or you know whenever the curfew is because that's when the local bars close and that's when everyone's driving home, then we can have a conversation about safety and communication and why the curfew is what it is. We're no longer angrily bantering about rules and power We're at the heart of the matter because we better understand what all this emotion really is about. And from this place of emotional clarity, we're going to be more likely to get curious about what was going on for our teen as well. So when we've taken time with our own emotions and when we have taken time to validate them and soothe them and understand them, we're no longer in this really defensive place. Like we get to a place of emotional clarity, like this is what I'm feeling and what I want to communicate. And this is what I feel like I need to know that my kid is safe. When we're at that place, we're also then better to open up to hear the other person. And we're going to be able to ask them, like, why were you late? Maybe they got a flat tire. Who knows, right? Maybe they got a flat tire in a place where they didn't have cell reception. Maybe that's why they weren't answering. So this is the place after we've done our emotional work that we can come and say, hey, I want to understand what happened. Why were you late? Why didn't you answer your phone? And we're more likely to listen to their experience with empathy because we've given ourselves that time to work through and validate our own emotions. Now, I will say this. If your kid is coming home at two in the morning and you're worked up and you've been anxious now for two hours, they're not answering their phone. You had imagined worst case scenario. They're lying dead in a gutter on the side of the road somewhere, right? And you don't know where they are and you can't call the ambulance. Like you guys, I've done this with Kevin even before. Like he was gone for a long time right after leaving the church. He went to a fireside because early on in his career, he was doing free firesides for the LDS church as a therapist. He would do like marriage and family nights. And he went to a ward here where we knew the bishop pretty well. And he was supposed to be done at 7 p.m. And it became... 9 p.m. He still wasn't home. Then 11 p.m. Still wasn't home. Not answering his phone. Midnight, 1 a.m. He came home. He had been in the bishop's office. They had been debating church history and doctrine and all kinds of things. And he had left his phone by his briefcase in the cultural hall, which is like the big gym area at the church. And so they had been in there just going back and forth, talking about things for hours. And I was about ready to go crazy because it was not like Kevin to not call. He wasn't home. I didn't know where he was. He wasn't answering his phone. He wasn't answering his texts. I was like going insane. So 
that night when he came home, like I was a basket case and he came home and I like threw myself at him. I'm like, you're safe. Oh my gosh. I was trying to think of like, which hospital would they take you to? Um, like, who would I call? What was going on? He was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. And I was like, okay, here's where the emotional work comes in. I was like, I need some time to like calm my nervous system before we talk about anything. And it's late and I'm tired. And I bet you're emotionally exhausted as well. I was like, let's talk about this in the morning. And so that's what we did. And I feel like that is such a huge help in our relationships with one another. Notice when you're too overwhelmed, give yourself time to calm your nervous system and then have the conversation the next day. So we can do that with our teens as well. If they're coming home late after curfew, you can say, okay, I'm glad that you're safe. I think both of us need some time. I need some time definitely to like calm because I've been anxious for hours. And let's talk about this in the morning because I I don't know if I could handle this again. Like, let's figure out how to problem solve this. So it's a win-win for both of us. I want to hear what happened. And I also need you to hear how I felt. um, And we'll figure out how we can problem solve this tomorrow in a way that's good for both of us. Anyway, oh, I love talking about how we can get close with our teens. I think particularly because that's the age my kids are at right now, which speaking of, I have a kid that's up and awake and getting ready for band and I need to leave in a couple of minutes, but I've enjoyed this conversation with all of you. Thank you for listening in. I'd love to hear your feedback in the call. Please come to the Wednesday call. It's for all donors. If you want to become a donor, please go to www.emancipateyourmind.org. Look for the box that's there that says support the podcast and give a gift. Choose any monthly donation. You'll be added to the email and call list. And you can come and we're going to have conversations about conversing with teens. Question and answer style. I love that we all get to answer and support one another and like help each other problem solve how we can have the relationships and the lives that we want after high demand religion. Thank you again for joining us today and I will see you next Sunday.